hola, hola, my name is Ricardo, I am the host of the Lucha Jovers podcast here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. We are a Spanish-speaking show dedicated to discussing and analyzing pro wrestling from all across the world. From AW to CMLL, we talk about American wrestling, Japanese wrestling, and of course, Lucha Libre. If something big happened in the pro wrestling world, we will talk about it. So if you know Spanish or have a friend that knows Spanish or want to practice your Lucha Libre pronunciations, go listen to the Lucha Jovers podcast right here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Nos vemos por ahí. Podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To Eurograps Express. I'm your host, Neil David, and we are back once again to talk about all the exciting events that have been happening on the British and European wrestling scene. Uh, Happy New Year, I guess. This is the first episode of 2023. Uh, If you listened to the Christmas episode a couple of weeks ago, you can probably guess my feelings on New Year's. I find it a little bit weird. There's something about forced fun that I don't know what it is. It, it seems to to, 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 to grate at a very particular part of my soul. If I feel like I'm being forced to have fun, I almost take it as a challenge not to have fun. And New Year's Eve and New Year's is the absolute epitome of that, isn't it? It's you have to stay up till midnight. You have to celebrate something completely arbitrary that I don't really understand anyway. Um, and I think that's a sign of getting old. I think... I've got a range of listeners, I think, from sort of young and old, and I can guarantee that all the younger listeners are going to be saying, yes, you know, it's a party, let's get together, let's do it. And all the older listeners are like, yeah, I've had enough. (laughs) You know, I remember the old days when I was a student and I used to work at a theatre. used to be a barman in a theatre. My wife was, a girlfriend at the time, now my wife was as well. So we'd be working till half ten. You get the train or the bus home, you'd be back by 11, by the time you'd got yourself sorted, got your drinks ready, all that business, it felt like midnight was when the party was getting started. But as you get older and you get you know a little bit more mature and you, you get a little bit more sensible and you invite people around at 7 o'clock for a nice dinner and a nice cheese board, you finish by half 8, 9 o'clock and you sat around suffering through Jules Holland's Hootenanny, of all things. And I hate Jules Holland's Hootenanny. I think it's probably the worst show on TV. Whenever Marky Smith was on Jules Holland's show, Marky Smith and the Fall, he would say to Jules Holland, don't play boogie-woogie piano near me. And I completely agree with him. I cannot think of anything worse than being forced to sit in watching Jules Holland play boogie-woogie piano. 
I don't want to hear anybody play boogie woogie piano. So that I I, I just I just don't get New Year's. In fact, my, my New Year's this year was was a was very different. It's probably the best one I've ever had. Uh, it was mine and my wife's ten year wedding anniversary. We've done ten years together, and we decided to go on this cruise. And you can tell I've been married ten years as well because I just said we decided. Obviously, there was no we about it. I didn't choose to miss Wrestle Kingdom, did I? You know, <laughs> she chose to to get us on this cruise. But actually, it was it was great. And we spent New Year's Eve on the deck of an absolutely freezing cruise ship that had parked just outside, not parked, what do ships do? Anchor, just outside Hamburg. And we watched all the fireworks go off. And it was just the two of us. And it, it was amazing. It was, it was fantastic. Because I didn't realise how much the Germans love fireworks. And correct me if I'm wrong, if you're a German listener, Paul Volch, if you're listening, let me know. But apparently the Germans absolutely love fireworks and Hamburg was was lit up and we were watching it from, if they weren't in dock, it was actually out at sea. They sort of stopped before they docked so we could all enjoy these fireworks. And it was absolutely lovely. It was, the, it was probably the best new year I've ever had. Um... And it, it cost me a lot of money, so we won't be doing it again. You know, it's like the only time. I say it cost me a lot of money. I've not even paid for it yet. Do you know what I mean? So I, whether it was worth it or not remains to be seen. But it was an absolutely lovely New Year's Eve. But obviously what you do around this time to, to bring it back to wrestling is you kind of reflect on things that have happened and what's going to happen going forward. And I've been thinking a lot about British and European wrestling and the scene and, and what we've learned and had happened over the last year and what it's going to be like in 2023. I think the biggest thing that happened, the biggest thing that I thought would affect the scene this year was the closure of NXT UK. And sadly, my prediction from the NXT UK is dead episode, was it around June, July? It was kind of summerish, wasn't it? My prediction was, or my thoughts were, kind of tinged with a bit of sadness that we had this devastating thing happen, this example of the worst of corporate nonsense marching in and destroying something and, and, and dominating something for really nefarious reasons. And ultimately what would happen as a result of it would be nothing. And with both outcomes as well, you know, nothing happened when it was going, really. I mean, we had a couple of good matches. There was a couple of good Tyler Bate matches. There was a couple of good Walter matches. There was a couple of good Ilya matches. But we were having those anyway. It didn't give us anything that we weren't already having. And again, I'm looking at this, as I always say, we're looking at this through the lens of the fan, the consumer, the people who, who follow this stuff. And that's absolutely valid. I'm not here to look at this through the lens of a wrestler who wants the WWE to pay for the Sunday roast. I don't care who pays for my wrestler's shopping. I don't care who pays for their bills. I care about the wrestling and the art and the craft and discussing it with you and my friends and going to shows. And that's a completely valid lens to look at. I think the most valid for me, it's my lens, it's your lens. Why would we look at it through somebody else's lens, through somebody else's gaze? And we've ended up, from our point of view, in the same place we were when it was open, essentially, haven't we? 
we speculated quite a lot about what would happen when this big influx of talent suddenly came back on the British scene and nothing happened. I think partly because we haven't had the influx of talent for the most part because they kept the absolute tippy-top stars. You're not going to let Walter go because he's great. You're not going to let Not The Way Done go because he's great. And yeah, they're obviously completely misusing him. They're using him like an absolute wazzock, as a peaky blinders idiot, as a flat-capped muppet. But he's a, he's, a, he's a star. Tyler Bate is a star. You're not going to let him go. And again, they're not using him. Apparently, he's coming back in the, is it the next couple of weeks for NXT. But he's not going to, he, you know, they're not going to let him back. And it, that's, I think, where a lot of the sadness comes from me, is that if you wanted to sign those people, and those people wanted to go, which they, they obviously did, and I could, again, through my lens, it's an awful decision, it's it's a ridiculous decision, but, okay, I kind of understand why it might work for them. I, I, I can kind of understand why they, why they would go. But they could have done that anyway, couldn't they? They could, they could have just hired them. And there's a couple of people who've come back on the scene. We've got Eddie Dennis, who we're going to talk about later on. Uh, Millie McKenzie's done a few bits and pieces here and there. You've got the guys who own Chaos Wrestling, uh, Wild Boar and Flash Morgan Webster, who have got that back up. But actually, I don't even think that one counts because they were doing that anyway. And, you know, Chaos Wrestling is... is I, like, I love Chaos Wrestling. I think they're a great promotion. But they're very much a grassroots promotion. You know, it wasn't this kind of big big level thing, this sort of like a Rev Pro style thing that kind of leads change on the scene. So we were going to get that anyway. And I'm trying to sort of work out in my head whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. I, I think the worst case scenario would have been is that we had a lot of people come back and try and move things back to the way they were before NXT UK. And obviously that wasn't going to happen for lots of reasons. You know, you've, 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 you've speaking out comes to mind straight away as soon as you say something like that. That it's not NXT UK on its own that caused this. You know, there was the, the much more important thing from a personal point of view for, for those people at the side as well. So you know, it's it's a it's a I'm, I'm not trying to sound like I'm walking a tightrope here, but I don't want you to think I'm I'm dismissing that or ignoring it and just focusing on NXT UK. But the scene just before NXT UK was 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 kind of strange anyway, wasn't it? The excitement of things like Progress and Fight Club Pro, would, they were dwindling away a little bit. You know, OTT was still a, a bit of a hotbed, but it was kind of all starting to dwindle a little bit. Especially for somebody like me, and I assume somebody like you. I, I always assume that the person I'm talking to looks at wrestling the same way that I do. And whenever I went to a lot of those older British shows... It, it kind of felt like I was a secondary guest at a party. That's a very common criticism of those shows, isn't it? That it was a party atmosphere. It wasn't necessarily about the wrestling. It was about everybody getting together and having a party. And I think me being me and, and, and I wrestling came first and foremost. I go to a live wrestling show to see great wrestling. And I felt like, you know, when you're at those parties maybe where everybody else works together or something. You know, you're at your, your wife's work friends do. And they're all talking about things 
are using reference points that you don't really understand. So while you can keep up with the conversation, it's very much a feeling of being on the periphery. And I always kind of felt like that with, and I was, you know, I, I didn't want to feel like that again. And I don't think we were ever going to get that back. But there was a bit of a line in the sand, wasn't there, with NXT closing? And now we're into a new year. And again, as, as much as I can slag off New Year's Eve, I kind of get it, don't you? That it's as arbitrary as that year changing is. It is a, a fresh start in a lot of ways. It is a time for reflection and moving forward. And like I say, I've been thinking about what I want from the British and European wrestling scene moving forward. And I don't know if I can, if I can articulate this any better than by saying this. I want it to start taking itself seriously. I don't think this was just a British problem. It happened worldwide, well, in America certainly, where wrestling just kind of became a little bit silly, didn't it? It became a little bit gimmicky, a little bit... Uh, kind of, we moved away from quality of matches or even star power you know you think about the era before the brit rest boom if you can call it a boom when it was bringing over imports and that sort of thing but that was a star-based thing we were bringing over stars and you'd go and see those stars and then it once nxt came about and then nxt uk and they started signing all the good wrestlers we were left with a talent pool that couldn't really operate on a work rate style because they weren't ready for it and I think the UK scene in particular was absolutely devastated by that suddenly we've got the big guns Joe generation being expected to main event a progress to lead a, a, a company to draw money and I'm not criticizing big guns Joe I mean I know I used his name but I'm not criticizing that generation of wrestlers because they were asked to do something I think in 20, sort of, well, not just this year, but from NXT UK onwards, that they weren't really ready to do. And if you're a promoter and you need to get bums in seats, you need to offer something. And it was much easier to offer that Tuesday night grab style of wrestling. And nothing for me personifies that idea of being the guy on the periphery of the party than a Tuesday night grabs. It you know that was everywhere you know that kind of comedy that kind of silly wrestling where the craft of wrestling doesn't come first and so many promotions that I that should be good you know promotions like Wrestle Carnival who clearly have that wrestling capital who you know they were trying to bring over all Japan well they were bringing over all Japan people at one point you know in the, in the previous life and doing joint shows with Ring of Honor and booking Gade Kid and, and people like that that just because of the way the scene was it just wasn't sustainable so then you've got to book a Charles Crowley as your champion I think a lot of that as well came from progress because they had they were booking the car noir nonsense at the top the NXT UK thing, once that... Sorry, the NXT main thing, you know, NXT 2.0, when all it can, the work rate stuff just kind of filtered away and those guys either went to the main roster or went to AEW or whatever it was. And we just left with this weird 90s gimmick wrestling. And then that was extrapolated down onto the indies that we watch and it just is all very unsatisfying. 
And what I really hope for this year, whether it's going to happen or not, remains to be seen. I'm, I'm betting no if I'm being a pessimist. Is I want to see more companies like a, like Red Pro, like uh, Purpose Wrestling, like Pro like um, Pro Wrestling Chaos. Those kind of promotions and those kind of companies that want to put on good matches, that want to put wrestling first. We have got now on the scene a great amount of really talented young wrestlers. Your Leon Slaters, your JJ Gales, your Callum Newmans. People who feel like they're ready to have a big year, you know? I mean, Leon Slater's going to have a big year. You know, he's, he's already been booked in America. He's been talked about everywhere, not just on podcasts like this one, international podcasts. And it feels like we're ready to re-establish ourselves as a as a scene and as a as a territory that can produce good wrestling. What ultimately got me thinking about this was the first show I watched this year. Um, well, I watched Wrestle Kingdom. I, actually, I watched it on my phone on a boat outside uh, Rotterdam. <laughs> but I, uh, the first British European show that I watched was the Eve 100. Uh, I say I watched it. It was very much on in the background, so I'm, I'm not going to review it. Um, but the main event was a rumble, like a gimmick rumble. And there was a bit in it where somebody was dressed as Peter Kay and they were leading around the ring doing Amarillo. You know, they show me the way to Amarillo, da, da. So the boomer Sweet Caroline. And if you like that, that's fine. You know, they seem to do a decent house and I know people really like Eve and I'm not not trying to piss in anyone's cornflakes. If you enjoyed that, then great. You know, I'm not one someone necessarily to disparage what other people like. But I'd, I'd, I'd really think we need to move away from that kind of thing. I think we need to get back to wrestling. I think we need to stop attracting people from a party atmosphere kind of view and a silly, gimmicky, fun point of view on that kind of stage. And I'm, I know I sound like I'm anti-fun here. I know I sound, like I'm, I sound like I'm a miserable fella. I think that stuff has its place. I've talked loads about how some of my favourite live events I've been to were at Grand Pro in Wigan. You know, I go with my mate Dan, who doesn't like wrestling, but he's, you know, he's a good time guy. Dan, he likes a good laugh. He's, he's one of them. He's one of them Rochdale people. You know, he, he speaks with a northern accent, and we. He, he likes, you know, that opera singer who sings down your ear as his finishing move. And, you know, the tables of families booing and a guy called Two Shades Jet Fashion facing off against Steve Bin Man, you know? And it's, I like that kind of very quintessentially British wrestling. But I, I think that we can offer something else. I don't want the whole scene to be that anymore. Because it's not really genuine. Because that I think that's the key difference is that when you go to a Grand Pro, as silly as it is and as fun as it is and as as family entertainment holiday camp as it is, it's supposed to be that. It's not doing it with a wink and a nudge and a smirk. It's doing it because that's what they do. And I can enjoy things that are genuine. Like Rush says, it's all a question of your honesty. But then when you look at the Peter K. Amarillo thing and you, you look at the the sort of the, the Lycos style of wrestling, I don't think it's done from a genuine place. I think it's done with a 
like it's they think they're operating on a bit of a higher level that there's this deep irony that they're that they're digging into that you know there's these these different layers to it and I, I i don't think that adds or improves anything it's too easy i think to say that we don't have talent on the scene because we obviously and clearly do and i i really think promoters this year i think they should really try and use that talent and use it properly and use it for the benefit of everybody. We've kind of got to come together a little bit now. Or do we have to come... I got a bit corny then, didn't I? I apologize. We've got to come together, you know. We're, yeah, nationalise wrestling. That's what we should do. We should... Never mind nationalising broadband or, the, you know, all the rail companies. We should nationalise pro wrestling. Some big news we had over the break was that uh, Money in the Bank is coming to the UK. It's coming to London in the O2 Arena. And I actually think that's a pretty good idea from WWE. Um, I, I, I think something like a Money in the Bank is perfect for going, travelling, you know, for, for going to other countries and being a, a, a pay-per-view for them. Because obviously countries, like you'd look at Clash in the Castle. I mean, talk about me, me and predictions. One of the predictions I got massively wrong was slagging off Clash at the Castle and saying, who's going to pay for that? Well, it turned out that a lot of people were prepared to pay for that. They put a lot of people in the, the Millennium Stadium or whatever it's called now. They put a lot of people in there. And I think... Having a money in the bank is a really clever move because it's something that's become very tired in America. The days of CM Punk winning it every year at WrestleMania or, you know, Dolph's cash-ins and all that business are long gone. Dolph Ziggler. I don't know why in my head I I thought Dolph Lundgren and I sort of had to stop myself. You know, you sort of, you, your mind doesn't quite connect the dots. And I knew it was a Dolph, but it, it was definitely not Dolph Lundgren. It was uh, Dolph Ziggler. Um, you know, it's kind of becoming really tired, isn't it? But if you're a territory that's not had a proper named premium live event, it kind of makes sense to have that there. It's like when they did Okada Tanahashi in America. Yeah, that might have been played out and might be tired in uh, in um, in Japan, but you put it somewhere else, and you you're going to get a whole new audience that are going to want to want to buy into that history and buy into that past. I mean, I'd be I'd be very diplomatic here. My prediction is that the show is going to be crap. It's going to be garbage, isn't it? Who wants to watch Money in the Bank? It's an awful idea, and I hate the fact that it's filtered down now. This idea of having a championship briefcases filtered into so many other promotions. I, I think it was a good gimmick for a while, but now, oh my word. It's just such a stupid story that you could just cash in this. But for me, it ended at WrestleMania. Was it 31 or 32 where Seth Rollins cashed in and won? And I think that was a really exciting WrestleMania. I liked that WrestleMania. I think it was the last one that I watched that I would say was good. And it it felt like that was a really good bow to sort of end it on. And it's just sort of dragged out. 
and they've they've done it to death and it's become tired but you know what wwe fans are like they they have this weird thing where they want to buy into this fake tradition and buy into this fake um sort of heritage that the wwe often want to push you know the the cliche one is winning the monday night wars by driving a tank up you know and all that business they like to buy into that so money in the bank is dripping in that sort of thing isn't it so i do i do sort of get it from a wwe fans point of view I mean, who knows where the WWE are going to be? I mean, I'm not going to talk about business. But what I will say about this uh, Saudi rumour that was going round, listen to that flagship live that they did afterwards because they made absolute spot-on point that David Bixenspan wasn't reporting it, Brandon Thurston wasn't reporting it. Do you know what I mean? It it, It was not something... You know, the idea that Vince McMahon was back in control at midday and by two o'clock he'd sold it to the Saudis I'll tell you what my I'm not going to talk about that because obviously it's been talked about by cleverer people than me but I will share what my litmus test is for believing people online and believing wrestling journalists and I'm not saying journalists with a sneer I know for some reason that's become a dirty word there are some great wrestling journalists out there you just have to know which ones to listen to and my litmus test has is this. It's really simple. If Vince McMahon offers them Sam Roberts' job, would they take it? If the answer is yes, don't listen to them. It's not hard and fast. Doesn't apply in absolutely every case. There are plenty of people who wouldn't take Sam Roberts' job, who I do listen to, but that's the litmus test. That's, by and large, the rule that's always worked for me. If they, if they would sit on a pre-show panel gobbing off some bollocks kayfabe with Booker T, don't listen to him. We've got to talk about Osprey, haven't we? We've got to talk about Osprey. It's a British and European wrestling podcast. And at the minute, at the end of 2022, going into 23. A British wrestler is on top of the wrestling world. We've just had the Fighting Spirit uh, 50, the the top 50 wrestlers of the year, which I'm so glad Voices of Wrestling are carrying on. I've got a lot of really happy memories of Fighting Spirit magazine. I just I didn't buy it every time, but I, as I said before, my wife's family live on Merseyside. They live on the Wirral. Uh, before we had a car, we'd, we'd get the train from Manchester and I, I just, I've got all these great memories of going into Smith's and having that magazine for the journey. And I, I really love wrestling magazines. I've, I always think, should I go on eBay and buy a load and, and try and get some of that magic back? You know, get some old PWIs and some old WWF magazines. Because when I was a kid, I, I ate those things up. And I, I, there's just something really magical about print media that I think is just in the nature of the way the world's gone, we're losing, and I'm not necessarily sad about it. I don't know how I feel about it, but I have to say, you know, getting the magazines was just such a lovely experience. I still buy White Dwarf magazine from time to time and just love having a couple of hours sat with a with a good mag. Um, that's a clip not to take out of context there, by the way. Uh, but yeah, the Fighting Spirit 50 has, has continued, and Osprey's number one. And as we're starting to go into award season and, and 2022 award season, 
particularly. He's a name. His his is a name that's going to be absolutely everywhere. I genuinely can't think of another contender for wrestler of the year. I can't. I think he's had one of the best in-ring years of all time. And it's a little bit tricky because obviously we're coming away from Wrestle Kingdom and with, you know, it it it's strange Wrestle Kingdom because yeah, it happens in 20 it happens in the new year, but it kind of feels like it happens in the previous year, doesn't it? Because it's it's tying up the stories from that year. You know, G1 onwards is always building up towards Wrestle Kingdom. So it really does feel like a culmination of the previous year. And I, I don't think there's anyone else really in the conversation for me. I think the sort of names that you hear who could, you know, you could argue have had a better year they did a lot of their best work with Osprey. You know, your Ricardas and your Shingos and people like that. They did their best work with Osprey. So there's just that common glue that and the road just leads to him every time. Now, I should point out there, I'm specifically talking about, in the Observer sense, Wrestler of the Year. You know, Flair Thez and the business side of things is a, is a completely different thing. You know, the idea that the, the top wrestler moved the most business not really something that I adhere to. I get why it's important. And I, I, I love listening to other people's analysis of that, but it's not something that matters a great deal to me. How many tickets and t-shirts somebody sold isn't really part of what I value in wrestling. So I, I, I go completely in on the wrestler of the year thing. And it, it, it's got to be Osprey, hasn't it? And what a match at Wrestle Kingdom. I, I have to talk about it. I know it's a couple of weeks, uh, ten, well, 10 days away from the recording of this, but is it the best match of all time? I think it is. I think it might be. There's very much a bit of recency with that. You know, it has just happened, but it's certainly in that pantheon. I have a really hard time when people ask me, what's the greatest wrestling match of all time? Because I don't know if I can be that zero-sum. It just feels like there's this layer of wrestling that certain matches go into that live above everything else. I talked about that article I wrote for Rob and Kevin's Wrestling 101 and the Shibata Okada match and how that just seems to live above all other wrestling. And the idea that I can look at the Omega Osprey match and somehow compare it to that one just feels like a like a like a pointless exercise a fun exercise you know it, it's interesting to take these matches and, and and analyze them and see where you would rank them but ultimately an impossible one to do but that omega osprey match it was to me it was absolutely perfect at every single step of the way i thought the build was fantastic the idea that omega is entering this stage of his career now where he's past his prime He's starting to get injured more. He's, his body's starting to break down. He's feeling the toll of doing these absolute no-compromise epic matches. And then you've got Osprey, the guy who is poised to replace him. The guy who is poised to replace the greatest wrestler in the world and be even better than that. 
And the way they built it as well, those brilliant promos from Osprey, you know, telling him that your body could not keep up with me in a match. You're an old man. You can't do what I do anymore. And there's something so beautifully emotive about that. I don't know if it's because, and not to get too personal, but I have spina bifida and my body ain't going to last forever. You know, and I'm starting to get to the age now where I'm in my mid-30s and I'm starting to get the back pain and the kidney trouble and, you know, my body's starting to not work anymore. And there's just something about when you hear something said by a younger man in such a brutal, callous and true way. Because it's true. And that's what ma- that's what's made Osprey such a great heel in 2022. Is that everything that he says in his promos is true. He is the greatest wrestler in the world. He's horrible about it. He's arrogant about it. He's, he, you know, look at what he did to Mad Kurt. You know, he could do... He, the fact he's prepared to do things like that. And then the match itself... There's just something about these great matches that have a different pace to them. That match, I mean, I was, like I said, I was watching it on my phone on the balcony of a cruise ship while my wife was drying her hair. And I came away from that feeling like I'd just seen one of the best things I'd ever seen in wrestling. The work was at a level and of a pace that you just do not see. You see it once in a blue moon. It was a match that had such immense expectations to it, and it exceeded them all. And I think something that can't be underestimated about that match, and something that played such a big part in it that doesn't seem to be getting talked about all that much, is the production of it, the direction, the the photography. One of my things that I, I I like to pick up on from great matches, or even not great matches, but were I really like those little images you get in wrestling that stay with you. And I've got this little collection in my head of just little moments that have stayed with me f- throughout my fandom of, of watching wrestling. You know, things like, Suzuki choking Goto on the second rope at that Wrestle Kingdom. And that match is a great match. It's not a, It's not in the conversation for best match of all time. But that moment has just stayed with me forever. That You know, to talk about what we were saying before about the Shibata headbutt, that moment of the blood running down his, uh, running down his forehead. And there's all sorts of little ones. You know, there's a Royal Rumble from like, I think it's like 94, 95... An earthquake and Yokozuna clear the ring and face off against each other. And the crowd goes wild. And there's this brilliant moment where Yokozuna's looking at the crowd. And in the background, just out of focus, is Earthquake's face. And the camera sort of goes into focus on Earthquake. And Yokozuna looks around. And neither of those wrestlers are my favourite wrestlers. And that Royal Rumble is not my favourite Royal Rumble. I can't even remember what year it was. But that moment has stayed with me. And this match, this Omega Osprey match, had one of those moments. It's that V-trigger in the corner. I can't stop thinking about it. This was way into the match when Osprey's being absolutely battered and beaten down. And 
it was such a I, I didn't expect that to happen. I, I in my head I was expecting it to be the other way around. It was gonna be it was gonna be Omega who was injured and Omega who was was dominated all the way through, but it wasn't. It was Osprey that was dominated. And he's in the corner and just the way they shot it with the camera right into Osprey's face. And I'm gonna tell you this now, this is gonna it still sounds crazy to say it that it needs to be said. But one of Osprey's greatest strengths is his subtlety. And the look he was able to put on his face. So he's he's all, he's draped. He's sort of half on his knees and he's got his arm in the corner. He's got his arm over each rope and his head's on the top of the turnbuckle. And the camera's looking up at him. And you know that Omega's gone back to charge up that V-trigger. And he's got this vacant, painful look on his face. And you know what's going to come. And you can see Omega getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger coming towards you. And you're willing Osprey to move out the way. And he was able to have this facial expression. this ex- To emote this idea that he physically couldn't move out of the way. But wrestling, especially wrestlers like that, play on subverting your expectations. So there's always that expectation in the back of your mind that he is going to suddenly move out the way. You know, like the jumping in the ring at the just before a countout happens. You know, you kind of expect it. And I expected him to move. And he didn't move. And that boom of the knee on the back of his head. And the way he sold it. That moment. It was a V-trigger in a corner. But the way they built to that moment and the way that moment was set up and the way Osprey sold it both before and after. The way he sold the move before it even happened. It was perfect. It was a perfect match. Is it the greatest match of all time? I don't know. It depends on your perspective, doesn't it? I was talking about All Japan with someone, All Japan in the 90s, and I sometimes wonder what it would have been like if I could have lived through that era, because that's one of my favourite eras of wrestling. I don't think it's, you know, (coughs) a controversial take, that is it, that 90s All Japan was pretty good. But I didn't live through that. It was, you know, early, mid-90s when I was six, seven years old. It wasn't accessible like it was. And I wonder how I would feel about it if I hadn't watched that era by getting tapes or by downloading random matches off Kazar or getting compilations. Even if I could go back and watch it all for the first time now, when you've got Long and Winding Royal Road from Post Wrestling or Wrestling 101 from Kevin Robb. You know, if you've got that kind of framing that we have now for people to, to use if they've never seen those matches. Living through that era and living through the week to week and the story to story and living it through in order must just it just elevates things but yeah i had to talk about osprey he's easily been the best wrestler in 2022 worldwide and let's be honest it's gonna he's gonna be the best wrestler in 2023 as well i mean that oku osprey match was the best match in this country and i don't even think it's close i did I go five? I don't... No, I didn't go five stars on it. I suppose if I have to ask the question, then I, I've answered it, haven't I? I didn't go five stars on it. But a lot of people did, and I, I think that it's a completely valid... Um, star. It's not like a five-star rating that you think, no way. I mean, I was like four and three quarters, you know. I probably had some little ni- pathetic niggle <laughs> that no one else agrees with. 
But yeah, that's the news. That's what the wrestling, the British landscape feels like going into 2023. We've got Osprey at the top, but he's doing all most of his best work outside the country. And I think it's time for some people to put the working boots on. So, talking of working boots, we should probably review some wrestling, shouldn't we? We're going to have a little bit of a, a look at GWF, uh, a favourite promotion of ours. Oh, we're going to talk about one match that I saw that I thought was really good. Uh, but we're going to talk about Live at London 69 from Repro. feel like we're in a little bit of a funny position with Red Pro at the minute. I, Red Pro have traditionally always done resets really well. They've always been able to draw lines in sands, have big shows with new champions or establish existing champions and kind of move on to new eras. And it seems like they've really struggled to do that in the back half of 2022. I think a big cause of it is having a really tiny roster. We're seeing feuds and wrestling that feels very drawn out and very tired. And I'm getting to the point now where I kind of want to know the reason for it. Why are we seeing such repetitive booking? And we're going to see that a lot on this show live at London 69. Just things like we feel like we've seen before. And it's one of those shows that you leave where you feel like wheels have just been spinning a little bit. And that's appropriate at times, but... You know, the, the, if we're honest, the Ricky Knight Jr. title run fell flat. You know, it, it didn't live up to the promise because I think Ricky Knight Jr. is one of the best wrestlers in the world. I really do. But he didn't have a very good title run at all. I think, obviously, so, a lot of that was... <coughs> excuse me. A lot of that was um, not their fault. You know, the fact that he was injured and he ended up going... It was probably the right decision to go on to Great O'Khan. But in the interim we didn't really have anything that we could sink our teeth into too much. Obviously, the women's division's just been plagued by injury. And again, can we really blame Red Pro for that? Not really, but at the same time, it is what it is. You know, we can't say it's not Andy's fault, therefore it is good. But, you know, it, it, it just it just is. It happened. It happened the way it happened. I think it doesn't help that there's also been so many missed opportunities, like the cruiserweight division has been absolutely pants. It's been repetitive booking, and it shouldn't have been. Let's talk about the show individually then, because there's, I think I've got to do this. I think I'm going to limit myself to only doing this once every couple of months now. Red Pro presentation is, is at the point now where it's embarrassing. It's embarrassingly bad. Throughout this show, you'd go from having, you know, the guy introducing Geo, the guy introducing the show, yelling into a microphone, clearly in the red, you know, if it was going through a mixing board, it'd just be blasted out so, so loud. It dist- it's not even loud, it just, it's just distorted. The levels are just so high. It's ridiculous. And then we go to something in ring from Francesca or we have promos from Gideon Gray and Will Ospreay that you literally couldn't hear. I don't get it. Because I know from my bad days that if you're going through a mixing desk, 
You can put a line out and record what's going through that mixing desk and isolate things. And to me, it's starting to show a real lack of care that they're putting these VODs out, they're streaming these things live, and they're not taking the time to make sure that the person sitting at home can hear what's being said in these promos. I, I just don't understand why they don't care that it's this bad. Because this is an age-old problem now. The production of RevPro hasn't changed since they started the streaming service. What, we're talking now five years, six years? It looks fine. The camera work, it's not stellar. There's been plenty of times in 2022 when things like the hard cam were too low or it was at a weird angle. But generally, nowadays, it's fine. It, it, it looks okay. It's lit well. But the sound is just abysmal. To the point where I wouldn't blame people if that's their red line. If that's the point where they just think, do you know what? No, I can't do this. I can't watch this product because it's that bad. We opened up with Conor Mills against David Francisco. I think David Francisco's great. And obviously this match was to kind of get a bit of heat back on Conor Mills. He, he lost against Oku, but he's moving on. He's becoming a bit of a more serious character. He's, he's, he's leaning full into the, the heel thing now. And David Francisco's absolutely perfect to do this. You know, he's just, he's someone who you automatically root for. He's just got that kind of charisma, that very great babyface charisma where he's been beaten down by someone and you're willing him to get back into it. And he's, Francisco's great at those hope spots, those fighting back moments. And it really worked here with uh, Connor Mills. Mills was straight out fighting, you know, you didn't, you, you didn't, Get a moment to breathe. He walks in the ring. He kicked Francisco and we're off. And I thought that was that was great. I think this is a year for Mills 2023. It's sink or swim year for him. I think he's going to swim. I've seen a lot of improvements in his work over the last year. There's still some things that he does that are a little bit clunky. Like he likes to do things to the middle rope that I don't understand. Like when he's got someone in the corner. He likes to run to the other corner. Kind of step up onto the second rope and then run back, and it just all seems a bit strange. You know, it, it's kind of fourth wall breaking that you thought of doing that because you thought it looks cool, but it just doesn't really. Um, I think a little bit in this match, and you see this a lot with Red Pro, is that they, they try to get the best of both worlds. They try to have Mills tell this story a little bit too much in the ring, when actually I think it should have just been a little bit more dominant. So there were moments in this where he, he tried to lift Francisco on his back, kind of in a reverse fireman's carry, and, and Francisco's a lot bigger than Conor Mills, and he couldn't do it. And I just thought, is that really what we want to do with the Conor Mills story right now? We kind of want to make him look a little bit stupid at times. I think taking out those little moments and those little spots would have just really improved. Because... Francisco doesn't need, need that to get him over because he's over because of who he is. He's over because he's a much, much better in-ring worker than you'd expect for the first time you've seen him. He's a great in-ring worker. But also, like I say, he's got that baby-faced charisma that you don't see very often. 
I don't know what it is with Andy Quill that he's really into spots like that at the minute. I wonder if it's coming from him because how many times in the last sort of three months has he said, oh, this person's making themselves heavy so they can't be... I, I don't get it. Such a stupid, weird thing to say. This person is making themselves heavy. I sort of get it. You know, you you can you feel like sometimes, don't you, that you can plant yourself into the ground. But if you could make yourself heavy and stop other wrestlers picking you up, why would you not just do that all the time? That that's why it doesn't sit right. It doesn't it doesn't fit in the world of wrestling that sort of thing, does it? it doesn't fit in the real world either, to be honest with you. But you know what I mean. Um, very dominant win from Mills, and like I say, I think one of the most exciting things in twenty twenty three is going to be seeing Mills without Oku, because that's just been a perfect story for Mills this last year, and I've raved about that story. I've been critical of a lot of parts of it. But overall, I thought it was such an interesting story. The idea of the secondary tag team partner, you know, the the guy who's, who's tag team partner is a much bigger star than him, much more successful than him, both sort of professionally and in the ring and, and with fans and all that business and what that does to a person. And I think it'd be really interesting to see where this, all this feeling and all this this momentum takes Mills. And if he can pull it off. I think he can. I do. I think it'll be a really interesting year for Conor Mills. And, and I can't wait to see it. Next up, we had Lycos Jim against Greedy Souls. And the, uh, like, I don't want to do another Lycos Jim rant. But I, I think Greedy Souls might have gone the same way with me in the back half of 2022. Not quite to the same egregious extent as Lycos Jim. But the matches just got very silly with Greedy Souls. You know, things like getting countouts and getting themselves disqualified. It got very random heel story. Sh- uh, story wrestling story shuffle with them. And there's a little bit of a bad taste left in my mouth still from that. And there's an incredibly bad taste in my mouth from Lycos Jim because I've seen them do that for quite a number of years now or at least Lycos and now Lycos Jim and it, it kind of kills the build to this match because the first 10 minutes of this I thought were really good I still think Greedy Souls are struggling to keep up with faster wrestlers that's a, a criticism that I've had of them before and it was definitely true here but the first 5-10 minutes of this would, was Lycos against Bread and White in particular Wrestling really well. You know, really cleverly. The, the the small, fast wrestler against the slow, big wrestler. Really simple story told a million times. But it works, doesn't it? You don't always have to reinvent the wheel. But with Lycos, there's always that feeling that the baking trays are going to come out. And I'm at the point now where even a match like this, where there weren't as many shenanigans as normal, and Lycos showed that they could wrestle really well, there was a, they've, there's been so much nonsense and shenanigans in the past that it kind of just removes me from it a little bit. I can't let myself be invested in it because ultimately I feel like disappointment's around the corner. And there were baking tray spots in this one. You know, and it just, as soon as it happens, it just, it, it feels like we can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Because Lycos Jim here wrestled really on the limit of what I think is good. They wrestled like little scamps. 
you know, if they were in Age of Sigma, they'd be scaven, wouldn't they? There's little dodgy scamps. And that works, and they did it well here. But it's going to take a few more matches like this before I can relax. It felt very flat as well. And I, I, don't, I know a lot of the audience, particularly the live Red Pro audience, don't necessarily share my view on that. They don't necessarily think the same way, same way I do about Lycos Gym. So I don't think it was anything to do with that. It just felt at times a little bit clunky, maybe not as fluid as it should have been, and a little bit flat. And it's always interesting to hear from people in the room. So if you were at Live at London 69, let me know. Because again, Red Pro production, abysmal. So even if the crowd were absolutely lightning red hot, we wouldn't have heard them anyway, would we? So there's that. Next up, we had JJ Gale against Gabriel Kidd. And this, this feels like a match made for me. These are two wrestlers who I really like. And talking about promotions going forward, in 2023 and started to take things seriously and started to really get behind some of the young good wrestlers we've got I think JJ Gale should be near the top of that list I really do I think Andy's built him really really well he's built him as a serious pardon the pun contender and I mean that word purposefully you know that he's not somebody who's presented as this firebrand who's going to go straight to the top of a card he's presented as someone who's a very very raw talent who's got the potential to do amazing things you're starting to see as well with gail the bits that were missing the pieces of the puzzle that weren't quite there are starting to get put into place so for example he'd come out to the ring and he'd, he'd, he'd be a bit flat you know once the bell rung he was always really good but there was just something about his presentation coming to the ring that felt a little bit off, but he's got that now. He's got that confidence. And let's be honest, there's only one way you really get that, isn't there? And that's with reps. You only get that confidence in front of a live crowd by doing it more and more and more. Think about anything in life. I'm much more confident recording this podcast one year in than I was a year ago. I'm much more confident reviewing a wrestling show now than I was seven or eight years ago when I started. And Gabriel Kidd, he's getting scarier and scarier. His, intre- his in, uh, entrance is absolutely brilliant. He's wide-eyed, he's terrifying, he's serious. The way he gets in and you know, stretches on the ropes, it really feels like he's ready for a fight at any moment. And you believe that he's going to let that match get as extreme as it takes. He really has this air about him as someone who doesn't just want to win a match. He wants to win a match and come out of it with proof that he's the strongest, the meanest, the baddest, the best. And they're always the most uh, uh, captivating wrestlers. What I like about JJ Gale, and I'm starting to to be able to put this together now, he's he's, he's getting ever closer to being the finished product. I'm starting to realise that he is... It's the it's it's his work the sort of the unexpected that he sprinkles into his work that I really like. You know, it, there'll be a a sudden super kick out of nowhere that's just so captivating and interesting and unexpected, and it makes you watch the match in a completely different way. You know, you're watching it from the point of view 
of not knowing what's going to happen next. You know, you can't look at your phone, you can't look away because you might miss something really exciting. And gave kids kind of the same as well. There was a bit of this where he did a, just a, it was a body slam, but it was on the apron. And just these little spots that suddenly come from nowhere that just really add to the unpredictability and the excitement of the match. There's still a few bits that are a little bit clunky, like JJ Gale likes to do cutters. I think he does generally have a good cutter when things are going well. He does it, he kind of bounces off the middle rope and does a twist. He does like a full turn in midair. So it is a really exciting move to see. But what they wanted to do in this match was have the idea that Gabriel Kidd was able to reverse all of these cutters, because that's his big move. Uh, he was able to grab him, and it, they weren't quite on the same page sometimes, and it felt a little bit clunky when they were doing it. And I think that's the nature of the move. I think there's a handful of wrestlers in the world that could do a good cutter. And the fact that JJ Gale is close is impressive, but he just didn't quite land here. I mean, this is just proper wrestling, isn't it? You know, th this is what you want out of wrestling, I think, is that two <coughs> young up-and-coming stars, one slightly above another in the pecking order of things, and they're wrestling, and there's consequences to it. You know, Gabe Kid won this and ended up challenging everybody. He wants a match with Shibata. He feels like he's moving. It feels like there's momentum to it. And that's what's missing from a lot of the Red Pro card, is that movement and that momentum just feels like things are very still and stagnant and repetitive. I say he did a promo at the end, Gabriel Kidd. I got the gist of it. It was inaudible, really, for the most part. And it's a real shame because, I, like I say, how hard must it be to get these promos on tape? How hard can it be? And do you know what? If it is hard, tough. You've got to do it. If the sound of Repro isn't improved this time next year, I'm gonna I'm gonna really start to question it because I mean not I'm <laughs> questioning it anyway, and not that my questions mean anything, but it's like I say, it's getting to the point now where it's just weird that it's not been sorted. I don't I don't understand what they're playing at. I think a perfect illustration of the point I just made about wheels turning and things feeling stagnant is this next match. Luke Jacobs against Robbie X for the Cruiserweight title. How could I possibly be excited about this? This Cruiserweight title has just felt like something on repeat for so long now and so unnecessarily yeah, granted, the women's division kind of feels like that too. But I get why it feels like that. They've had injuries. They've had unfortunate things happen. They haven't had that with the cruiserweight division. And this was a good match. Of course it is. It's Robbie X and Luke Jacobs. Of course it's a good match. But it just felt so redundant. It'd be a real shame if this Robbie X title run is wasted because I tell you, he's in a position to have an absolutely stellar, worthwhile, valuable title run with that Cruiserweight belt. To me, it should be booked. I'm not going to fantasy book too much, don't worry. But he should be in the opener of every show having 
exciting title defences. Not against someone who is a heavyweight, who you're telling this... I mean, what's happening with the Dan Maloney thing? Why is Luke Jacobs not just going into this programme with Dan Maloney? He didn't have to book him on this show. Why are we not moving in that really obvious direction? By the way, set up by them. The idea of Luke Jacobs going on to feud with the heavyweight Dan Maloney is not an idea that I've fantasy booked and somehow willed into existence like a trans-dimensional planet in Gaia Project. That's a niche reference. If you get that reference, DM because we'll be friends. But it's not like that. This is an idea that they have presented. It's kind of like the uh, Mercedes Monet thing, isn't it? They hinted that she was there. So you can't have a go at people for thinking she might be there. You told me that Luke Jacobs was going to feud with Dan Maloney. And now he's back being beaten by Robbie X. Why? Robbie X doesn't need the win to establish himself. Because he won the Super Jacob. And okay, yeah, you had the rubbish with the elimination four-way nonsense with Dan Maloney that we talked about last time. We can kind of move on from that now, I think. I think it's perfectly feasible if you're resetting things to just say, okay, let's just... We we've, we might not have got to the destination the way we should have done, but we're at the destination anyway, so let's move on from it. It's not like Robbie X needs this establishing win. People like Greedy Souls need the wins. They need the reps and they need the championship defences. Robbie X doesn't. Because Robbie X is in a perfect position to put that belt over. The belt isn't putting him over. He's putting the belt over. But they're booking him like he needs the belt to put him over. I've said a lot of words there and repeated a lot of them. So I hope that made sense to you. Like I say, the speed at the back of fourth of this match was great. I should have liked it. I should have really liked it. There was a kick out at one. But I think the booking at the minute for Luke Jacobs, I don't think the booking is necessarily harming Robbie X, because he's Robbie X, like we just talked about, but I think it is harming Luke Jacobs. I think there needed to be this feeling now of him graduating up to heavyweight, that he'd had even... If it's kind of false, and even if you just sort of telling me, I'd be willing to go along with it because he's Luke Jacobs and he could pull it off. You know, he had the great match in Manchester where it really felt like he arrived and he won the Cruiserweight belt. And okay, he lost it, but let's move on now to bigger and better things, literally bigger things in a heavyweight division against Dan Maloney. But instead, we've got these spinning plates, these repetitive matches, the hint that Dan Maloney's going to be a Cruiserweight. I really think we're going to look back on this cruiserweight era, if you like, and just see a lot of missed opportunities. We really are going to see a lot of missed opportunities with it. Because we've missed them already. We had an absolutely lovely treat next, and we had Gideon Gray come to the ring. And I will say this now. If Gideon Gray doesn't get votes for best on interviews, 
It's a travesty. It's been a travesty now for about three or four years that he never even seems to get votes for best on interviews. But he's on the biggest stage he's ever been on. He's on the biggest, one of the biggest stages you can be on in New Japan. And he should get votes. If he doesn't, I don't know what we're doing. He actually wrestled here. He wrestled Zack Knight. Still on the fence about Zack Knight. I'm still... It felt really... He felt really good when he had that excuse of a last-minute booking change. And he felt really surprising on those New Japan shows because he was better than anybody ever expected him to be. But by the very nature of him being a regular roster member, you kind of lose that a little bit, I think. So he's in a bit of a tricky position. We're going to have to see what he does next. This was, as you'd expect with Gideon Gray, mostly comedy, but Gideon took some great bumps. Um, You know, there was powder to the eyes at the start, and when Zack fought back, there was some real great chain wrestling, and it, it it was a good match. I thought this was a really good match. And I think New Japan has worked wonders for Gideon Gray. The layers he's added to his character. You know, he's not just this corny heel manager anymore, which he was great at anyway. I'm not complaining or disparaging that character that he played because he was absolutely fantastic at it. But the idea of him being this almost money mark now, you know, a guy who wants to be involved in the business, but he comes from money, so he's able to just buy the things that he wants and buy his way into being part of the Cool Kids group. I, I, I think that's a, a really captivating, interesting story. There was a nice little argument at the end. Uh, Gabe Kid came out to save Zack Knight and Zack didn't want the help and then uh, Gabe Kid is, is now going to have to face Yota Suji because Gideon Gray got upset. And Again, audio issues. I couldn't really hear the promo. And it looked great. And the result's great. I'm well up for Kid against Suji. But I think a lot of the excitement from the build has been robbed from us almost by absolutely terrible sound. So that's just another example of of them not booking their ideas up when they really needed to. Next up, we've got a bit of a funny one. We've got Charlie Sterling from uh, Smoking Aces. I nearly called them the Smoking Guns. And I'm <laughs> I'm very, very aware that I do that a lot. You know, I just slip into calling them the Smoking Guns. Uh, but, but Nick Riley's injured, and it ended up being Charlie Sterling and Shaw Jackson against Sunshine Machine. I refuse to recognise this gimmick of sh- whatever. Is it double action, Sean? Action, action, it's not funny. It's not a funny joke that's being told time and time again. I think this is one of my tropes in wrestling that really put me off. The idea of a heel wrestler almost feuding with a ring announcer. You know, the idea is that He's really annoyed with Dave, uh, with uh, Fran- <laughs> and he'll call David Francesca. <laughs> you know, it's just Francesca, uh, the ring announcer. Uh, I, he doesn't like it because she doesn't say his name right, and uh, that's it's not funny. I don't care if I'm grumpy. I don't care if I sound like a miser. It's not funny. 
And Shaw Jackson doesn't need it. Because Shaw Jackson is a pretty good wrestler. He's still young. He's still inexperienced. He was the worst wrestler in this match, if you want to be really nitpicky. But he's not a bad wrestler. He's got a lot of potential. And the idea that he's going down this really stupid heel comedy route, I don't really like it. I really think Shaw Jackson would be much better off spending his time and efforts learning to work a little bit better. And he's not a bad worker by any stretch. The foundations and the fundamentals are there. My issue with Shaw Jackson is, is he wrestles, or he seems to wrestle very gently. You know, things like strikes and even slams and chops, don't. he doesn't seem to be laying them in the way everybody else is. And I wish he would, because he's he's got a good look. You know, he's a, just a big chunky hoss kind of lad. That is one of my, that's my favourite type of wrestler, really. And he would fit really well in, a, in the Red Pro roster. I think his work is good. I just think he needs to sort the comedy stuff out and lay things in a little bit more stiff. It's strange, isn't it? Because it kind of felt like we came to a really natural conclusion of the Sunshine Machine story. The idea that they were champions for a long time and they, it felt like they were being cycled out. You know, they lost the feud for the belts definitively. Uh, they were losing singles matches yet they just kind of lingered around and Andy said a few times on commentary that they're looking to build up some challenges for greedy souls and it's the winner of matches like this that's going to get there. So are we building to another Sunshine Machine shot? Say that with your teeth in. I, I just... I feel like Sunshine Machine need to not be booked in Red Pro for a while. You know, and I like them. And, and they were great here. I think uh, TK Cooper is one of the most underrated wrestlers in the world. And pretty much always has been, even back to progress days. It just feels like... We need a bit of a rest from them, a bit of a break. And the fact that they won this and Andy's talking about being contenders again, I don't think, I don't think he would go into another programme of Greedy Souls against Sunshine Machine, but I suppose you never know. And there was a little bit of an inbuilt story hinted at here that because Charlie Sterling's regular tag team partner wasn't there, he's kind of got that inbuilt excuse for a match to settle it, and I suppose you could have um, Smoking Aces win that. Again, do you know what I mean about Red Pro's booking just feeling very stagnant? It's yet again we're faced with a seeming push for Sunshine Machine to go and challenge the people who just beat them and have the same feud again. And this is a feud, like a proper feud. You know, it was built through a series of matches that ended with a no-DQ match as a blow-off. It wasn't a feud that was bubbling and simmering in the background. It was given a definitive blow-off. So to go back to that now so quickly, not saying never, you know, it should happen eventually that Sunshine Machine and Greedy Social get back together. But it feels like we're on that trajectory a little bit too soon. So hopefully this is just as a result of Nick Riley being injured and they, they've got to go with the Smoking Aces because, yeah, just just a bit of a shame, really, if they go straight back into repeating themselves. I mean, the roster's just too small, isn't it? They just, they just don't book enough people. It's as simple as that. 
Then it was the main event. Osprey against Eddie Dennis. Eddie Dennis is a funny one, isn't he? Because like I said before, when we were having a quick reflection on NXT UK, he's the only one that seems to have come back, you know? Like, really come back. At least of the more significant names that went. And I think Eddie Dennis is pretty good. I think there's a place for him on the Red Pro uh, roster. I don't think he's fantastic by any means. I think he, he's... He's probably rated fairly, isn't he? He's not particularly overrated. I don't think he's got lots of people that think he's absolutely brilliant. I'm sure some people do. But he's also not somebody who you're going to hear people really bag on because he is quite good. He is all right. They are telling the Eddie Dennis story in a slightly clunky way because you've kind of got to tell the story that they are with him. Essentially, that he's coming back you know, he had this time away in exile, as Andy keeps calling it. And, you know, he's, he's kind of crawling his way back now. And you've got to recognise that. It's a truth that's too big to kayfabe away. But I feel like at times they're being really great at telling it. Like, I think Osprey himself was great. You know, that wonderful line of, what did he say when NXT UK went down? And he said that, you know... You can come back and you're some very talented people, but when you come back, you wipe your feet at the door because we kept it running. And he's carried on that in the promos and even in the match. And I, I like that idea because it kind of gives a nod to it. But then sometimes Quilden would go a little bit too far on commentary. So, for example, he'd try and say that at every York Hall show, Eddie Dennis was there, even when he was employed by the WWE watching. It's just a weird one. It's just a tricky one. You know, it's there's, there's a line and you kind of don't always know where it is until you hear it. But I think the Quilden thing really crossed the line. Osprey was fantastic here in this match. And this match isn't any kind of work rate classic. It's not going to be on any, on a, any match of the year list or anything like that. But this happened a week removed from Wrestle Kingdom. And Osprey really sold what happened at Wrestle Kingdom. And it shows that fantastic things that you get from all the best companies. That it's not a case of them having this universe where they have heels that are faces elsewhere and they're not really influenced by what's going on around them. It establishes Red Pro as a promotion that exists in the world of wrestling. Kind of like AEW is booked as. Because he came out and he was forlorn. He was sad. There were so many times in this match where Osprey just looked frustrated with himself. Like he got caught in a hold and he feels like, no, I'm better than this. I shouldn't have got myself in this little pickle. One of Osprey's key strengths, get this, this is, this is going to be a controversial statement. One of Osprey's key strengths is his subtlety. When he'd be dominated in a takedown, uh, he'd be able to sell the frustration of it. That he feels like he's a step behind all the time. And that's absolutely appropriate because he's just had this incredible loss at Wrestle Kingdom. Because that's a big moment, that isn't it? And New Japan do that so well. The idea that somebody thinks they're on this unstoppable trajectory, 
that's a tricky word, uh, this unstoppable momentum, and they suddenly get stopped in their tracks. And that's clearly what Osprey's been through, because he, he got really dominated by Omega in that match. And that's affecting him here in the way he looks and the way he reacts to things. And it just shows that Osprey's operating on a storytelling level that not many wrestlers are. You know, he looked pained at times. He looked annoyed with himself. There were times when he'd get Eddie Dennis in a Cobra twist. And he'd be looking around. He'd lost the cockiness. He'd lost the arrogance. He'd look like he was thinking. Like things that were previously really natural to him suddenly became thinking points. Things that needed to be considered. I think this was a was a really good match and a match that showed me that you can mix really good work rate because the, the actual work here was good. I'm not diminishing the work, but they just told a great story. And again, there's a promo at the end and it seemed really good. It seemed they were doing this thing where Osprey was saying, yeah, you know, I kept the lights on and you come back, but look, what we just went through, you've got my respect now, and I feel like I believe you. At least that's what I think the gist of the promo was, because as I say, I couldn't hear it. Honestly. What a shit show. Am I over I have to stop myself doing this on Red Pro Reviews. I know we're basically a Red Pro show these days, but I have to stop myself doing this a lot. Just getting really angry about the sound production. Because I feel like it's taken away. That promo looked brilliant. It looked great. I'd like to say I think we've got an interesting year ahead for Rev Pro. But I, I don't know if we do. We've no champion because obviously Great Okani's off. The tag team division is spinning wheels. The cruiserweight division is spinning wheels and the women's division is beset by injury. I'm going to stop saying division. I've just realised that's a WWE-ism, isn't it? I'm going to try and stop saying it. But anyway, that's an aside. I don't know. I mean, maybe when he... It's usually the York Halls, isn't it? If by the next York Hall it doesn't feel like things are moving forward, then we'll start to worry. Because actually this show, like I say, the work for the most part was really good. And there was a little bit of variety to it. There was there was matches that were good for different reasons. But I'm not very excited about Rev Pro at the minute. I'm looking at it from a bit of a clinical point of view, I think. So we'll see what happens going forward. But let's have it a bit of an amuse-bouche before we wrap things up. Let's... Pay a visit to some old friends, the GWF. <coughs> I really like the GWF. I, I, uh, we've talked about them intermittently on the show as the year went on. And I'm going to really make an effort to talk about them more because they've just got a nice little feel about them, I think. You know, they, they kind of have that atmosphere that, you don't get very often that it's a group of people who come together to really enjoy some wrestling 
And while the in-ring wrestling might not always be amazing, it, it often is, it sometimes is, I'm really looking forward to their uh, light heavyweight uh, cup that they do. I think that should be coming up fairly soon. Um, but it's just something about the atmosphere that elevates it and it's infectious and you get really into it and get carried away in it. Um, I like the business model as well, I have to say. I'm, 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 I don't know if it's successful, I've no idea, but I wonder why more companies don't do it. Essentially, what they do is they air their shows for free. So you could go on um, their YouTube channel now and watch this Strike First, Strike Harder show. And you can watch the whole show for free. And they stream them live. The production's great. That's why Red Pro got no excuse. Because GWF, a much smaller promotion, do it live and they do it better. But you can donate as the show's going on. And I really like that. You know, you could just throw them a couple of euro, Or, you know, I, I just give them five euros. And I feel like I've got a bargain. Because it's less than you pay on Fight TV or whatever. And I think more people are inclined to do it. I mean, that's the theory anyway. Whether that's how it actually works, I don't know. I don't know what the business is like. But I like it. From a, from a consumer's point of view, I think it works well. It feels good. You know, and it, it kind of feels like you're part of it as well, doesn't it? It's nice sometimes to think, well, I don't have to give anything, but I am. I'm not going to talk about the show, but I'm going to talk about the opening match. He was Axel T-shirt against Peter Tiani. And they're both wrestlers who I really, really like. I think Peter Tiani had a good 2022. Uh, Axel T-shirt did too. Uh, Axel T-shirt's become a bit of a... of a solid... <coughs> excuse me, I've got a bit of a cough, as you can tell. He's got a solid work rate style that I think he's been a real boon for the German scene this year. Um, and Peter Tiani's just this young firebrand. And I think the reason why this match stood out to me is because there was a tweet from Repro um, thinking about their cruiserweight division and their woes. And they're kind of starting to manage expectations a little bit about the New Japan stars coming over. Apparently, airfare is absolutely through the roof from Japan. So we're not going to get the same level of super shows that we're going to get, that we've had purely from a financial sort of reasoning. You know, we just can't do it. So, okay, imports might be harder to get. And that's kind of how I want to book the Cruiserweight division in Red Pro. I kind of want to have it getting Cruiserweight challenges of the week that could have a... Because anyone could have a great match with Robbie X. So give them the opportunity to do it. And Peter Tian is just a name that really comes to mind for me. That he'd just be a have a great match against Robbie X. I think it'd be really cool. What I liked about this match is it was exciting, but in a very wrestling kind of way. You know, there was a lot of mat work earlier on, a lot of headlock takedowns and that sort of thing. But there was a red hot crowd behind it. And because it's T-shirt, he just gives that little bit extra effort into everything. Everything just has that what Triple H would call snap. You know, it's just got that little bit extra spark to it. And then when you've got a firebrand wrestler like Peter Tiani, it really, really works. It really comes across as a contest and as a skill-based thing. And that carried them all the way through the match. I mean, there was nothing in this match I thought was 
particularly innovative in terms of the work, but what they got perfectly, and I think this probably comes from Tisha, is the pacing. I thought the pacing was absolutely spot on. They knew when to slow it down. They knew when to speed it up. They knew when to lay it in a little bit more or to let things breathe. And the fact that you can just go on YouTube and watch this match for free, I think is fantastic. And I would really, really, really encourage people to do it. It was just, it was technical, but often map-based. But there was lots of strikes. It really was a, just a great all-round wrestling match that I probably would be flirting with four stars for. If I'm, I mean, I'm not really a star rating guy. And I, I feel like I'm kind of damning it with faint praise a little bit there, but I, I don't know. I, I want you to watch it. That's what I want to encourage people to do is just go watch this match and let me know what you think about it. Let me know what you think about Peter Tiani. I, I, I think it's a, a match that was that's really, really worth watching. Like I say, just for that constant motion, constant movement. Things that are often lacking. Uh, the rest of the show, to be honest with you, not much to report. Um, the winner of the T-shirt um, Tiani match, they do this really weird gimmick. You know, I was talking about Money in the Bank feeling a bit stale. They do these umschlag things, which is envelope. A GWF kind of do this mixed money in the bank almost that if you win your name gets put into an envelope and then there's a show when none of the, every title is going to be defended but they draw an envelope at random and if you've got your name in an envelope it might be in the one for the world championship it might be in the one for the loserweight championship or you know it might even be like the tag championship but you're with a partner and you don't know it's just it's a really weird thing and it i i, I I don't know if I like it. I think I do. It's just so unusual and odd. Feels weirdly German, doesn't it? And I, like in a great way. I can't quite put my finger on why, but I feel like this would only happen in a German promotion. Uh, I have absolutely no justification or reasoning for that that I can articulate at all. I don't even know. But it's just such a weird idea that I, I really, really enjoy. So yeah, get on the GWF YouTube. The full show is called Hit First, Hit Harder 3. Free wrestling. Can't say fairer than that, can you? All right, let's wrap things up. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the show. I'm off now to enjoy my last bit of Christmas cheese. Uh, one of the things I like about Christmas, and I, I hate pretty much everything about Christmas, I like two things. Ironically, Christmas Carol. I don't know, I mean, considering that's probably the most Christmassy thing imaginable about somebody who hates Christmas and is persuaded to love it by reflecting on his own miserable past. I can quote that book. I read it every year, every Christmas. I, I sit and spend that afternoon reading it. And I just, I wake up every morning at Christmas and I, I shout, what's today? Why it's Christmas? And like an absolute idiot. I mean, I embarrass myself. One of the most embarrassing moments of my life when I think back to it is my wife did a little Christmas party. She had some mates up from London and she invited a few other of her friends over. And I don't drink. And one of the... I, I do some... Like, I will occasionally. Like, I like a real ale and I, 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 I... So... But I don't feel the need to have it very often. 
But this was a party, and the reason why I don't tend to drink very much is because I'm kind of random in my regulation of alcohol. Like, sometimes I can have five or six pints of beer and feel all right. You know, and obviously, you know, tipsy or whatever. But I'm dealing with it, I'm handling it. But then there are other times when I can have one beer and be absolutely steaming. And there's no kind of logic. It doesn't seem to matter whether I've eaten, not eaten, tired, not tired, you know, Friday, Saturday, whatever. There seems to be no pattern to it. And I I don't like that. So I, I kind of stay away from it. But at this party, I'd ended up drinking and, and it, it sort of went to my head. And for some reason, I decided to just start quoting Christmas Carol. So I'm stood in the living room shouting things like, Fezziwig, live again! And, you know, know him, why I was prenticed here. And, you know, <laughs> you know he's, he's why he spent but a few pounds of your mortal money. It's not the money, he has the power to render us happy or unhappy. And I could feel my wife glaring at me while I was acting out these scenes from Christmas Carol. And I I was got the most terrifying words you can hear in a marriage. My wife looked me in the eye and said to me, can I speak to you in the kitchen for a second? And that panic has never left me. And I've not really touched alcohol since, and this was years and years ago. But yeah, weirdly, Christmas Carol. But yeah, one of the other things I liked, I got, I got, I got on a tangent, is my Christmas cheese. And I've got my last little block. I've got a lovely Cheshire cheese with garlic and black pepper. And I've got some buttermilk crackers. I'm absolutely intrigued. I'm, I know I'm going full Alan Partridge with it. And I don't care because I can't wait to eat it. I hope you have some cheese and crackers. I hope you got some pickle on it. I hope you enjoyed the show. Happy New Year and I'll see you in two weeks time. Music. It's not just part of our daily lives, it's part of our wrestling fandom as well, and it has been for decades. That's where this show comes in. Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling, hosted by Andrew Rich. Hey, that's me. Each episode delivers a different topic with a variety of great guests, fun conversations, musical analysis, and of course, a heartfelt pun or two. New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.